Welcome to MoneyWeb at Midday, the actuality news show, offering unique insights and in-depth analysis, featuring South Africa's top business leaders, newsmakers, and analysts for today's professionals. Your host, Jeremy Metz. Live every weekday at noon, then we are up as a podcast. This is MoneyWeb at Midday. I'm Jeremy Maggs with 30 minutes of Express News on developments here in South Africa and around the world, including interviews with business and political leaders, prominent newsmakers and top commentators. It's Wednesday, the 6th of December. Coming up on our program, international visitors to South Africa increasingly being targeted by criminals. Is it going to kill our tourism season? How close are we to a recession after dismal growth numbers? 50% of our drinking water is now not safe. Should Cabinet Minister performance reviews be made public? And 10 years since he died, are we failing the Mandela legacy? First, it was runners being ambushed on the slopes of Table Mountain, and now foreign tourists travelling from Gauteng to Sun City have been attacked by an armed gang who demanded euros and then threatened to kill them. This, of course, happening at the height of our tourism season, where literally plane loads of foreign tourists arrive every day. The question is, of course, will they continue to do so? Let's turn our attention to Professor André Duvenacher, who's a political analyst from the Northwest University. Professor, firstly, how do these attacks affect South Africa's perception then as a safe tourist destination? Well, uh, extremely negative. And if you read the current reports about crime and other forms of misconduct and the rise specifically in violent crimes, it is extremely problematic. And it is clear that the police force in general is failing not only South Africans, but also foreigners, people coming, tourists coming to the country, and also the National Prosecution Authority is failing us. And you can see this on basically all levels. I'm just looking at a thing like political assassinations. You must look at the data and statistics when it comes to these type of assassinations. And uh, in a sense, crime is becoming a commercial activity. And that is a serious problem. And the knock-on effect is dire, isn't it? Particularly as far as tourism is concerned, because this is a key driver of the South African economy, particularly at this time. We're in the middle of, of the height of tourism season. Jeremy, I would put it even stronger than that, that. And that is that the South African economy needs investment. And tourism is important, but it's only one aspect But at the moment, we are not getting the necessary investment. And it has to do with a number of things. Law and order is certainly one problem. Another problem is that uh, we are over-regulated. We are following certain political ideologies that aren't sensitive to investments. We know what is going on with regard to the AGOA agreement and so on. So it's problematic in many ways. But yes, in terms of the tourist industry, without any doubt. And Professor, if the current trajectory continues, what is your 
prediction then or what, what is your forecast for 2024 given that given the poor GDP numbers which were out yesterday we could at least be in a technical recession by the end of December? Yes, just to give you one statistic, my province northwest, the unemployment rate is the highest in the country at the moment. It is above 50%. I have no doubt that 2024 is going to be an extremely difficult year from a social, political, and economic perspectives. And there's many reasons to believe that the instability and uh, crime is to a certain extent a form of instability will be on the increase. I'm very concerned about the build-up to the election and maybe what will happen after the election, especially if existing political elites are going to lose their power in some way or another. So yes, it's not a good environment for economic and financial investment in a world economy that is facing major challenges and the number of wars, thinking about the Ukraine-Russia war and the current fight between Israel and the Palestinians. So let's bring it back to the tourism equation, if we can. Are there any strategies at all that South Africa at this point can employ to reassure international visitors, both tourists and investors, in light of these recent armed attacks? Or are we reaching a tipping point now, a threshold, where we might as well say, let's kiss tourism goodbye as a key driver of the economy? Jeremy, we cannot do that. We don't have that luxury in any way whatsoever. And I think the basic strategy should be to uh, create patterns of order, stability and security. And it's all about institutions that uh, must do their job and ensure the necessary safety and security. I have just completed a piece of research and my core argument is that in South Africa, we need fundamental reform politically, economically, and socially. But it all needs to start with the creation of patterns of order, stability, and security. And I think this is critical for the tourism industry. Part of those patterns of order and stability would be, I imagine, to make sure that there are more law enforcement officers. Um, We're always told that uh, we're either recruiting uh, law enforcement officers or we have enough. Do you buy that argument or is it simply one of having the police but them not doing their job properly? I think we have challenges when it comes to capacity and in terms of numbers. We can see that in terms of the private industry versus the state police force. I think the total at one point in time was something like just below 200,000 police officers, men and women. And then on the other side, we have about half a million people in the private industry. And this is telling us a story on its own. I have no doubt that there are capacity problems, but there's also problems because people are appointed without the necessary experience, with uh, weak uh, work ethics, people with political connections in what many people refer to as a type of a mafia state. So there are problems on so many levels. But more and more, what I am picking up is that individuals are becoming responsible for their own security. And we are investing a lot 
in personal security. And I believe that tendency will continue in the future. Which leads me then to my final question, Professor. If that's the case, what can role players within the tourism industry be doing themselves if the responsibility now falls on the individual? From a tourist perspective, I don't think we can expect uh, tourists to pay for safety and security in a direct way, maybe in a more indirect way. But I would say that institutions where tourists are active and environments, I think certain stakeholders should take responsibility. I know there are places in Africa when you enter as a tourist, you are forced to stay within the framework of a hotel. You cannot leave and go where you want to go. I am afraid we are entering that same scenario. Professor, thank you very much indeed. MoneyWeb at Midday for all your up-to-date stories. Now, be careful before taking a sip of water from that glass in front of you. It could make you sick. The new Blue Drop report, which assesses the state of all drinking water systems in South Africa, says 46% of water tested is either poor or bad for microbiological water quality compliance. Joining us now is Sean Phillips, who's the Director General of Water and Sanitation. And Mr. Phillips, you can't be happy with that report. No, I'm not. So why the deteriorating situation? There's various reasons for it. So as you know, in terms of the Constitution, water services are a municipal function, and we have three separate spheres of government. Municipalities have their own elected representatives. So the Constitution has checks and balances in place. So while it provides for uh, these three spheres of government, it also provides for national government to set minimum norms and standards for functions carried out at provincial and local level and to intervene when those minimum norms and standards are not met. So what's been happening at municipal level is the reason why there's been a deterioration there. There's two main factors. Firstly, the municipalities are not budgeting sufficiently for maintenance of the infrastructure. And secondly, and this comes out very clearly in our Blue Drop results, In the worst performing municipalities, they're not hiring staff with the correct qualifications to operate the drinking water infrastructure, such as the treatment plants. Then there are underlying causes of those two problems. The reasons why they're not budgeting sufficiently for maintenance include that their billing and revenue collections systems are often weak, but also there's no legal requirement for municipalities to use revenue from the sale of water to fund the maintenance and operation of water services. Municipal councils can vote for those revenues to be used for any function. And as a result of that, many municipalities, particularly the poor or performing ones, have been severely under budgeting for the maintenance of infrastructure. And these reports show that that applies particularly to wastewater treatment infrastructure. Mm. There seems to be a political reluctance by councils to vote funding for maintenance of wastewater treatment infrastructure. The reports show that while most of the drinking water infrastructure is in an average or better condition, less than half of the wastewater infrastructure is in an average or better condition. Those are the underlying problems at municipal level. So in terms of the constitution, as a result of those underlying problems, the the services are deteriorating. Now in terms of the constitution, the national government is supposed to step in in that situation. 
to ensure that minimum norms and standards are set. We are now stepping in more than we've ever done before in two ways. Firstly, we provide a huge amount of support to municipalities in terms of infrastructure grants and in terms of capacity building, etc., and training. But secondly, we also have a role to play as the regulator, and we're in the process of strengthening our role as the regulator. In a couple of ways, we are about to issue more comprehensive norms and standards for municipalities for water services. But more fundamentally and more importantly, we've recently gazetted the Water Services Amendment Bill, which provides for a compulsory operating license system for the parts of the municipality which deliver the water services. In terms of the Water Services Act, as it currently is, the Act differentiates between water services authorities, which are the municipalities which are appointed by the Minister of Cooperative Governance to be responsible for water. There's 144 of them in the country. And water service providers, which is the body which provides the services as opposed to the authority, which is like a local regulator. What has happened since the Water Services Act was passed in the 1990s is that almost every single water services authority has appointed itself as the sole water service provider in the municipality, and they haven't managed the regulatory function of water services authority and water service provider as was intended in the Act. So we're going to clarify that and we're going to introduce a requirement that the water service provider part of the municipality must have an operating license. And to get that license, they will have to show minimum levels of competency and capability to provide the service. And the amendments also provide for the minister to legally force a municipality if it fails to improve and get its water service provider to get an operating license for the minister to legally Mm -hmm. force a municipality to appoint a water service provider which is licensed. It sounds to me as if the department has no or very little confidence in the metros to actually do their job properly. properly. In the municipalities. Mm. Um, Well, um, the evidence speaks for itself, Jeremy. These blue and green drop and no drop results are showing that there's been a severe decline in the quality of water and sanitation services. So we have a duty as the national government, we have a duty as the department, as the regulator, to take action to make sure that that is reversed and that we go back to meeting minimum norms and standards. If we don't take such action, we can be accused of failing in our role as the regulator, and the entire national government could also be accused of failing in its constitutional responsibility to ensure that minimum norms and standards are met at at lower spheres of government. What is concerning, if you read this report, and you can correct me if I've misinterpreted it, is that during the audit period, 14 water service authorities simply didn't report water quality data at all to your department, which effectively means that they're, they're not taking you seriously. Yes, so we did follow up with those municipalities as we put in the report. Uh, We followed up with those municipalities. We wrote to all of them and we gave them an instruction that they must inform their citizens immediately if they're not doing the required tests that they were supposed to submit to us on their drinking water quality. And most of them responded to us to say that they're busy in the the process of hiring laboratories to do the test for them. 
And some of them re responded to us to say that while they hadn't provided us with the test information, uh, they were actually doing the tests and they then provided us with the information. And where necessary, they did respond to us to say that they have indicated to their citizens, they have issued notices to their residents to say that they're not testing and that the residents therefore need to exercise caution in, in consuming mm. that water. Sean Phillips, I'm out of time. Thank you very much indeed for that very blunt assessment. I appreciate it. You're listening to MoneyWeb at Midday. And this is nothing that we weren't expecting. There is now a high risk that the South African economy may end 2023 in recession after disappointing GDP data in the third quarter of this year. Let's give you some expert assessment now from Klanti Pai from PwC South Africa. He's a senior economist. And 25 days to go before the end of the month. Are we going to see the new year in experiencing possibly a technical recession. Thanks, Jeremy. We really actually are starting to be very, very concerned about a technical recession for the reasons that we have seen this decline. I think one of the things um, that we were concerned about and we tried to highlight in the second quarter was that that growth was likely artificial in the sense that it had been based actually on the very constraints of the economy. So, for example, you know, what we called investment, which was basically people so-called investing in alternative energy uh, sources. So those imports of those panels and, of course, are putting up both for businesses and households, investing in solar and other energy sources. What we also saw there was those growth in inventories, which also suggested something different, which was not so much that businesses were growing inventories because they were seeing demand, but that because they could not actually export or that they actually could not transport these inventories because of the limitations that we've seen in our logistical system. So all of those things actually which contributed to that growth have now receded because of course they were artificial. And of those problems have not gone away. We know that in fact these issues around um, around logistics have worsened. Mm. The mining sector has communicated very, very strongly their troubles. We also know that the energy situation has not picked up. In fact, in the last two months, it's been exacerbated. Um, and then, of course, the consumer continues to be in major trouble. Public finances have been highlighted as a major threat in terms of the economy. And certainly that the Minister of Finance saying, please cut down spending. And of course, that's the growth factor that we saw even in the third quarter came from public spending. And of course, if you are limiting public spending because of the constraints that we are seeing there, and all of those mm. things combined tell us that growth is likely to suffer even in this current quarter that we're in. And so we are likely facing a, a technical recession, as you suggest. Are the principal drivers, as you've suggested, just energy and logistics, in other words, ESCOM and Transnet, or is the problem more systemic and deep-rooted than that? Well, um, Jeremy, the problem is certainly systemic. And of course, we cannot underestimate the impact into the system of energy, resources, uh, infrastructure, of course, and also logistics. These are key, key fundamental plays. Of course, we also have, as I've said earlier, the troubles that we have in terms of uh, the public sector and certainly the finances. And those are all really key contributors. And then, of course, if we think about monetary policy, also that's very, very tight. So if we think about uh, the structure of the economy and the main contributors that usually support growth, that support economic activity and expansion, all of those are actually in real trouble. And so all of those things that we are talking about now are very, very important. And of course, the consumer ability to consume is a huge part of this. And as we also know that, you know, the consumer is under a lot of strain, uh, whether we are thinking about income or we are thinking about debt and finance costs. So all of these things 
a part of a system that talks to us about expansion. Mm-hmm. And so there's really little space to see where uh, the opportunity is. Now, we've seen some of the reforms, you know, that come from Operation Vulindela, for example, but those have been generally and mostly in the regulatory space and in the policy space, white papers, that kind of thing. So we're seeing reforms really on paper at the moment, but those are starting to maybe hopefully will start to show up uh, towards sometime in the next year. So essentially for what we're facing now, everything in the system that would support economic activity and growth and employment, all of those are rather constrained. And I think this is the problem mm. that we're facing. Part of the problem, of course, is we don't really have a year to wait for those reforms to start to have any impact, do we? No, we don't. I mean, I th- <laughs> of course, we're out of time. And of course, I mean, I think generally the thing is this, we don't have any time at all because we have been dealing with these issues for an extended period of time. And, you know, one of the things that um, has been some hope that we've been thinking about is that we can see next year, because inflation has started to come down, that we might see some breathing space in terms of monetary policy, so those interest rates coming down. But if we face these logistical, logistical problems going into the new year, then that will constrain supply. And of course, when we have less supply and people are going to shops to buy things, they don't find those things, then of course, we're going to see that prices start to go up so that inflation that's been coming down will probably not come down as much as we wanted to. And that will compromise that breathing space that we've been looking for in terms of monetary mm-hmm. policy. And that's something that's regrettable. And of course, we are also looking at the situation that we've been seeing in terms of the fiscal space. And if we can't open that fiscal space, we are not able to borrow to meet the needs of the public sector. That also constrains the reforms that we need there. So it's not really looking good. It's very difficult to see any positive offshoots going forward, and, and we don't have time. And compounding the problem, of course, in any election year, such as next year, 2024, often there is deferred action, or at the very least inertia, when it comes to decision-making and policy implementation. Indeed, indeed. (laughs) Of course, politicians do take time away from their main jobs, those in government anyway. And I think one of the things, of course, that we also consider about and the Reserve Bank reflected on this when they said the public finances are a matter of great concern in terms of the financial stability of our economy because the constraints that they are facing and the probability certainly that governments tend to be a little bit lax in terms of controlling spending in election years. And hopefully that will not be a risk that eventually comes to fruition in the sense that, of course, if we're not able to hold back that spending and we start, we need to borrow more, we breach that fiscal deficit, that will send jitters to the market and that's something that could be detrimental to the financial system itself. And of course, more government borrowing does tend to crowd out private investment because everybody really reaches to the same kind of borrowing, the same kind of investment when they are looking. And so if government takes a bigger share of that, it leaves very little behind for private investment, which we know is very, very important, especially in terms of small businesses and those entities that may be uh, facing opportunity or distress, depending on where they may be. So there are these kinds of issues that are in the system now that are quite concerning and that is a thing that has raised and it's something that uh, also we've been quite concerned about. Thank you very much indeed for the assessment. MoneyWeb at Midday for all your up-to-date stories. It's an important week on the South African calendar. Ten years ago, Nelson Mandela died and We all have our own memories, don't we? I recall vividly being part of a broadcast team on a local television news station and having to demarcate the emotion that one felt with the importance of the job at hand. And I'm sure that uh, you look back 10 years and you'll have your, uh, your own thoughts. I want to briefly look back now on 
the meaning of his life a decade on. And we did ask the question in the introduction to our program, 10 years on, are we failing the Mandela legacy? With me now is Razia Saleh, who is Head of Archives and Research at the Nelson Mandela Foundation. Razia, a very warm welcome to you. Um, what is your assessment when you look at that uh, when you look at that assertion do you think 10 years on we might have lost track we might have lost count of the contribution that he not only made but whether we are still upholding the principles that uh, he espoused uh, hi everybody um, I think in our assessment uh, we think that um, we are in a situation where we are battling to live up to Mandela's um, a legacy, and we still have a long way to go to achieve the the vision of a free and democratic society that he uh, strived for so for so long. The foundation where you work at, how is it actively working then to preserve and honour the memory, the legacy of this man? We have various different programs uh, and focus areas. Um, so we have. Uh, uh, we do work around early childhood development. Because in our assessment a few years ago, uh, we found that was the greatest need, you know, to get children from a young age uh, so that they develop properly. So there's nutrition program for focus on education. And things that we found is that uh, the centers that... Uh, you know, work with preschool children, have difficulties in registering and accessing state grants. So we've had a program with the Department of Basic Education and to work, uh, uh, getting those um, early childhood development centers registered. It's called the Vagasali campaign. But also we teach then practitioners together with project partners around food nutrition and the growing of uh, food gardens in local mm. communities. And that, so that that's focus, one way. Yeah, that, that focus, Razia, is, is, is so important, particularly when it comes to young South Africans, because the youngest Nobel Peace Laureate, Malala Yousafzai, uh, called on the world yesterday to declare gender apartheid a crime against humanity. And it was very apt. It was very poignant. It was very meaningful that that important call was coming from a young person wasn't it? Yes, especially during the 16 days of activism against gender-based violence. Uh, so, uh, you know, her call comes very specifically from a situation in Afghanistan where the Taliban have uh, sidelined women from public life. Uh, so, you know, it's as dire as girls not being allowed to go even for grocery shopping. So we think that's a very important call which we would support, uh, especially in a country where gender-based violence is so rife and endemic. Um, it, it, yeah, so that's one of the things, you know, it's it's a human right, uh, and, and we would support that goal. And particularly coming at a time when South Africa is observing the 16 days of activism. Uh, Razia Saleh, thank you very much for joining me. You're listening to MoneyWeb at Midday. The Democratic Alliance says it's going to submit a promotion of access to Information Act application to individual cabinet ministers to establish the outcomes of their performance assessments. What's all that about? Well, joining us now, DA Chief Whip Siviwi Khwarube, 
welcome to you. Why have you decided then, why has your party decided to follow this particular route? Good uh, afternoon, Jeremy, and uh, to your listeners. Um, uh, you, you will recall, I think, a couple of days ago, um, when there were calls uh, asking the president to make public the uh, performance appraisals of his ministers. The spokesperson came out and said the president is reluctant to do so because he fears that it may be embarrassing uh, to certain ministers to be able to do that. And our view is that, firstly, Section 90 of the Constitution states that while it is a prerogative of the minister, of the president to appoint ministers, the reality is that they are accountable to Parliament. And if they are accountable to Parliament, it means that they are accountable to the people of South Africa. It's not good enough that the president has shown us a blank template of what a, a performance agreement looks like. We need to understand how his ministers are faring um, against the set target. Many South Africans already feel the effect of the uh, of the poor performance, whether it's load shedding, whether it's poor water quality, whether it is the lack of jobs. But ultimately, as a, a good accountability tool, mm. South Africans need to be able to see how their ministers, how their government is performing against their set targets. And what specific outcome or insight is your party hoping to gain from this? And what's your plan if the information is not forthcoming? Look, I mean, I think, uh, firstly, I think the the, the, the the act which governs the, the PIA process is quite clear. Um, if you do not get any joy from that process, then you can take the matter up um, to a court. And we wouldn't hesitate to do so, Jeremy. And, and one may ask, you know, uh, you know, wh- what does what what will it serve? The reality is that you know this government, in our view, has really complete disdain for accountability and transparency. And for us to show and demonstrate that. Ultimately, if you are a minister who's responsible for a portfolio, you're not just simply there as a member of the executive. You've got to deliver against set targets and set deliverables. And what we want to know, we want to see is we want to be able to say to South Africans, this is how your government is performing. Well, you may be feeling it on the ground, but this is what the cold hard facts are showing you around what your, 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 your government, how your government is performing. The fact that the, that the presidency would even go as far as saying it will embarrass the, the ministers, I mean, that is hardly a reason for people not to see how their government mm. is performing. And so that is what we want to see. We want to see absolute transparency. And it's important as voters and general citizens go here to the polls next year, it's important that they are, are informed. And and those are those are all very noble sentiments, aren't there? But you will also concede that uh, getting your hands on those performance assessments is a useful election weapon. You would utilize the performance assessment in next year's election strongly, I imagine. As it should be, Jeremy, because if the ANC government is failing to deliver against the deliverable to deliver against their targets to serve the people of South Africa, then the people of South Africa need to see that in technicolor, in, in, in confirmed in those performance agreements so that they can make different choices. So I think we, we shouldn't even shy away from the fact that these are an, this is an important piece of information for people who are going to be heading to the polls to make a decision on who it is that they want to run their government. So absolutely, we want those, 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 that information available because the president doesn't get to decide what embarrasses mm. him and his cabinet on and 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 
because ultimately it's the people of South Africa who are suffering um, around the, the, the lack of performance of these of cabinets. Thank you very much for joining me. Seviwe Khwarube is the DA Chief Whip. As we close the program today, other stories on our radar. Six EFF MPs will be suspended in February 2024, which will prevent them from attending the State of the Nation Address. And the National Health Insurance Bill is going to be debated for adoption by the National Council of Provinces next Wednesday. MoneyWeb at midday. We are live at noon every weekdays. Then we are up as a podcast. Goodbye to you and thank you for listening. Listen to the daily live stream of MoneyWeb at midday or download episodes on moneyweb.co.za, the MoneyWeb app, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or follow MoneyWeb News on social media for more updates. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.